This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, April 2, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today I'm hanging out with Nathan Falcone, an ordinary citizen from Cedar Hill, Missouri, We're going to talk about ordinary stuff, but focusing mostly on how COVID has affected politics in a rural area. But first, does it seem like just the people with the big dollars get representation while the rest of us are on the outside looking in? Money shouldn't buy you legislation, but, well, here we are. If you agree it doesn't sound fair or democratic, then check out Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. The proposed constitutional amendment simply states that corporations are not people and money does not equal free speech. For more information, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. We're talking today with Nathan Falcone, a lifetime resident of Cedar Hill, Missouri. Cedar Hill is an unincorporated community of about uh, 1,700, give or take, and it's out along State Route 30, uh, about 30 miles southwest of St. Louis, as a crow flies. Nathan is 34 years old. He spent most of his life living in Cedar Hill and works in the construction industry, specifically in sheet metal work. Uh, He's been doing that for about 16 years, and Nathan possesses a keen interest in politics, which he describes as, quote, an absurd love. I'd like to talk about that a little bit and find out what he means by that. Anyways, he believes that society is unnecessarily divided, and an open discussion of major issues may help alleviate this problem of division. He hopes that by coming forward, he can help us all just sort of get along. I personally met Nathan while trolling around on Twitter. He had some interesting comments that paralleled my own, but sometimes ran counter to my to, to my comments. And um, you know, after a while, we just got to talking and decided to do a podcast episode together and see how it turns out. Now, strange enough, uh, Nathan actually lives within a fairly short, fairly short drive of where I live, so we find lots of commonality when discussing how politics affects people in the Midwest. So, Nathan, with that introduction there, thanks for joining Democracy on the Move, and uh, thanks for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and welcome to the program. Thank you. I can't express enough how much I appreciate you having me. Yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. First of all, uh, in the introduction there, I, I, I quoted you. You said you have an absurd love for politics. Um, can you expand on that a little bit, what you mean by that? I don't know. I just I think it's kind of crazy. I, uh, I I didn't really realize that I was so fond of politics until just recently. And, uh, you know, I get out work and I do come home and I'll watch endless hours of political videos. You know, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's nothing uh, crazy or anything. It's just something that I've found that I actually am very uh just obsessed with the parent I guess really and I, I mean my I in the end I guess though I do want to you know focus on helping people and uh that's really where the end game is I guess is politics yeah. I wish uh I wish all of our politicians would remember that so what anything specific that got you interested in politics um you know it's hard to say I guess um you know I guess neoliberalism is one major thing, you know, noticing the far shift from the left, uh, you know, towards centrism and, you know, corporatism, I guess, in reality, uh-huh. uh, you know, that just, it, it just every day more and more is more just disgusting to me. But, um, and right. also I guess the, uh, Trump administration, just seeing all that unravel, yeah, that was definitely, uh, politically awakening, I guess you'd say, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, and I, I, I can actually, you know, give Trump credit on things that he actually did good, but, um, mm-hmm. overall, I think it was just a disaster and, you know, I, I, I'll touch anything on that, but yeah, yeah that's pretty yeah. much what got me mainly involved really. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting what you say about Trump because I think, you know, uh, for better or for worse, he's certainly got a lot of people 
interested in what's going on in the nation and what's going on in the world. And, um, you know, for me, it was, or not for me, I mean, I was already uh, not a big fan of his, but January 6th for me was, was a bit of a turning point, um, you know, because it was, uh, it was really, the threat became real in a sense, in my, in my perspective anyways, the threat of, of um, you know, losing our democracy uh, started to become real to me. And I really got, I was already doing podcasts by that time and pretty, pretty involved in politics, but uh how do you feel about that? I mean, what's your sense on January 6th? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty eye-opening for sure. I, um, I, you know, it's hard to say because, I mean, should he be like prosecuted for how he part- uh, partaked in it? I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, just kind of spoke out of both sides of his mouth, you know, while giving his speeches and stuff like that where he left just enough wiggle room, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I think it absolutely is just crazy, you know, especially now they're still trying to, you know, uh, whitewash the, you know, what happened and yeah. try to say that these people were all let in and everything was peaceful and stuff like that. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much full in support of the, the, uh, prosecutions and all, like everything like that. Uh, the one thing I do, I am hesitant on is they, uh, you know, they're trying to use it as almost like a new Patriot Act, almost kind of thing to uh, uh, limit protests uh, stri- or restrict protests in certain yeah. ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. Another way for them to censor us, as it seems, and that's that's a major red flag for me. Yeah, that's interesting. There was, um, uh, I think his name is Rick Bratton. Bratton. Uh, he's a Missouri senator now from out in the western part of the state uh just like south east of kansas city south and southeast of kansas city and he had proposed legislation last year um that essentially said that uh you know if people are protesting that um if as somebody driving a car by you some next to someone's protesting right. you can just basically legally run them over um right. if you quote feel threatened <laughs> and that was that was and he wasn't the only one to do you know, to propose this either. There are other people in other states that are talking about the same thing, and that was uh, that was a bit eye opening for me too. When when people start talking about that, because I understand protests getting out of hand. Um, certainly, there were a lot, a lot of protests on on the right and on the left. They just got out of hand, but uh, right. But that doesn't that shouldn't limit our freedom to go out there and express our our opinion about our government. Right. Whatever we and feel yeah, obviously, uh, that can lead to some serious problems whenever you make a bill like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot to say about that, too. You know, um, you can say a lot about Trump with his, uh, basically, uh, you know, he doesn't care a thing about free speech. You know, you see that uh, photo op he did for the church and mm-hmm. his gassing protesters just to get to that photo op. That's, you know, back... Yeah. But he actually used legislation that was proposed from Obama for previous that, you know, I don't know if you remember the, was it North Dakota pipeline? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they created legislations where they, uh, you know, that these people had no rights. They were shooting them with water hoses and everything else in the middle of the cold night. Yeah. Uh, and it was just one of many things that Trump, you know, even on the, uh, the campaign trail or whatever, he admits, he's like, I'm just using those that your husband made, you know, yeah. or, uh, that example, it was Obama, you know, yeah. a lot of the case. So, but yeah, I'm, I think it's just, it's definitely, uh, something we got to pay attention to with yeah. their women ability to protest and organize. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you don't pay attention to it, you're more likely to lose it. Um, Anyways, uh, we would we did want to sort of corral this conversation into COVID, and I think yeah, right, um, you right. had you had actually suggested that as one of the topics we could talk about, and I I really I jumped on that because I thought um, that actually is sort of a metaphor for a lot of things that are happening in our government. I think COVID actually Absolutely. exposed a lot of things that um, that our government was yeah a little bit short on. So. Um, What's your sense on, on, on COVID? Let's do an overall thing. What's your sense on COVID first, and then we'll just sort of dive into some of the details later on. Um, you know, I fall in the center of a lot of things, honestly. Um, as far as the vaccine goes, uh, I was 
I mean, I think the st- all the studies and all the evidence shows that the vaccine was massively effective to people who are, you know, uh, suffering from immune deficiency or whatever it is, and <laughs> you know, elderly or uh, you know, people like that. So the vaccine is a great thing, which something that you can actually give Trump credit for for the the Operation Warp Speed or whatever. Yep. Um, but uh, the vaccine. Um, you know, I was all for that. I actually, I never took the vaccine. I didn't really see a need to for myself, but that doesn't change my, you know, belief that it was actually helpful for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, pro- I don't know, a few takeaways for me. Um, main thing, I guess, is just, uh, you started to see kind of this, uh, condescending demeanor from the left <laughs> towards people that you know voted for trump and you still see it today or people that are just anti-vaccine you know or just skeptical of the medical uh you know the healthcare system in general right and it's like you shouldn't be looking down on these people at all you know they, they have a re- legitimate concern to be skeptical of the healthcare system but sure. well, we all can agree on that you know it's a for-profit system so for uh i, I just couldn't understand why there was just that divide there um, and one of the biggest takeaways that has just become so painfully obvious, like it's even more painful that there's just not even a discussion on it right now. It's just how much we've got to get med- Medicare for all through, um, you know, during COVID, what we lost, uh, 30 million people lost their healthcare under COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the major reasons that happens is because their healthcare is tied to their job and they lost their jobs and boom they lose their health care in the middle of a pandemic no less so it's just yeah. bizarre yeah um same uh there's a study that came out that uh, i think 30 percent. this was like last year i think but 30 percent of the people that died from covid uh could have easily been saved if they just had basic health care which wow. you know i think the number every year is like around fifty thousand people died because they don't have basic health care um, so this is astounding that we just can't get a discussion on this in the middle of a, not in the middle now, but even before in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we had a democratic administration, a democratic house, and a democratic Senate, and nobody's talking about it. It's just baffling to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've always had, you know, proponents like or advocates or whatever, for, like Bernie Sanders and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just the discussion just phased away and here we are. Yeah. Dying. That you've touched on a lot of things right there, and you know, medical. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's just good because because uh, these are these are good uh, points from which we can branch off from. Um, yeah, Medicare for all, M for all, um, M for A, I guess they call it. Um, and right. I, I I would put it in a more general umbrella like uh, universal health care. Yeah, I should say that right because there's yeah. several different systems like the single payer or you know yeah and you know different possibilities or whatever yeah yeah and it, it's um it's a good thing but i think there's there's the devil lives in the details to a large degree in terms of how that gets implemented um right but um overall i think it, it, that's pretty astounding some of these numbers you're talking about here you know with 30 percent of the people um could have been saved if they just had basic health care and would not have you know perished uh under under covid and you think wow you know i mean of course the vaccines helped uh, tremendously, um, you know, social distancing and things like that probably helped as well. But um, that's pretty astounding. That's a pretty profound profound uh, statistic you've got there. And um, they also talked about the <clears throat> condescending uh, um, attitude from the left. Um, boy, oh boy, I get that, you know. And I think if I were to, you know, play devil's advocate here and jump on the left and say, well, you know, why is it that when we have this cure, virtual cure, right? it's not a real cure, but uh, um, close enough, yeah, a type of cure, put it that way, that keeps you from dying. Um, right. Why is it that people would resist this? Um, but I think there's also another discussion about what, what I would call the common good, and I've been hitting on that uh, theme for the last few podcasts. Um, the common good means that you have to um, have civic responsibility, and so, for example, let's go way back to like the uh, polio vaccine or, or polio uh, virus, which was a real right. killer. And it, it was a horrific disease to get. If you survived it, it usually affected you for the rest of your life. And um, 
so people were getting polio shots. Uh, I'm old enough actually to have gotten a polio shot myself. I don't know if they're still doing it these days. Um, but that's the way, that, that's the civic responsibility, right? We need to eradicate this virus. So um, well, I put that under well, the common good. And I guess I'm just trying to play devil's advocate to say that may I be understand. the frustration from the left saying, why aren't you guys, you know, um, doing it for, you know, for the, for the, for the team, you know, why aren't you taking one for the team? What do you so, say about that? So, uh, you know, the, the overall civil, you know, morality or whatever, I was all for it whenever it came to masks because the vaccine wasn't out yet. You know, there, there was a legitimate, uh, concern where you could actually kill somebody. And I was, that was just petrifying. Uh -huh. Um, so that made sense. But as far as I understand, the vaccine does nothing as far as transmissions, if, if not just very little. So how I just, you know, that's another thing that just seems to be kind of a misinformation where, you know, people frame it as, well, if you don't get a vaccine, you're actually doing harm to, you know, their overall, um, you know, community, mm -hmm. but it doesn't help with transmission. Then what's the point? You know, if I understand like, well, it's kind of idiotic. I feel kind of idiotic that I never got it, but mm -hmm. I never, I, I think I did get COVID early on and it affected me for a day or two. And then it just, I, I guess I was one of the asymptomatics or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I just, beyond that, I just decided I wasn't going to get it. Um, you know, I guess I do kind of fall in the line of just the distrust for the overall healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not like I've got some conspiracy theory as far as the vaccine that it's going to have some adverse reaction to me or whatever. I, it's not the case. All right. Um, I don't. I don't even know if I really have a full explanation why I didn't get the vaccine. I just never did it. Yeah. Um, if somebody was right in front of me with it, <laughs> I probably would have let them do it. I don't. Yeah. It just never happened. Uh, again, you know, if there was ever the case where it was like, well, this clearly uh, helps with transmission. You know, or you're not going to transmit it to anybody. Like, I would absolutely be willing to take it just for the people that uh, might be too stubborn to get it and are, you know, falling the vulnerable. Uh, right. You know, but that would be my response. So, so if if I just catch you correctly right here, if if your argument is then that the vaccine really doesn't prevent the transmission of the virus, then it really is a personal choice whether or not you take the vaccine because that virus is going to be here forever, anyways. So, uh, is that kind of like where where you're at? Yeah, I guess so. You know, okay. I just don't. Um, you know, as far as civil community, you know, being, uh, endangering the community. I just don't see it being possible. Okay. But again, I, I don't really know a lot about it. I just uh -huh. try to follow as much as I can. And, uh, that I just haven't seen anything that actually shows any evidence that it does help with, uh, lowering transmission or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, there's, there's a lot of misinformation that came out as well. And I'm just thinking in my mind, as you're talking, I'm thinking Rachel Maddow, she said, if quite famously said, Oh, if you get this vaccine, the virus just bounces off of you. It doesn't infect you at all. And like, where, first of all, where'd she get that information from? I don't know where these guys right. come from because, you know, is I was actually on a podcast uh, for a different podcast. Oh, back in mid 2020, I think it was. And I was talking to a doctor about this and uh, he asked me the question. He said, you know, what happens if you get the vaccine? Um, will it, uh, will it, you know, well, that could have, could have been 2020. It must have been. Well, we're right after the vaccine was was out, but before I could get the right. shot, basically. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I I had the same response for him. I said, "Yeah, it means you won't get it, right?" And he says, "No, you'll still get it, yeah, but it's not going to kill you. Most well, likely, kill you. Yeah, it won't yeah. kill you. <laughs> it keeps you out of the hospital, is what it does." And so, yeah, that's, that, that made sense. Major we decrease, major we decreases the possibility of hospitalization. You know, right, right. Uh, and yeah, misinformation, that's a major thing I wanted to touch base on. Um, oh, I am. Yeah. I think know, that's, um, yeah. oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to build on your point right there. I think misinformation definitely contributes to this um, condescending view that you see from the left because if the, if the assumption is that, hey, you're not taking the shot, therefore you're spreading this disease. Well, absolutely. if that assumption is not true, then the condescending attitude is not well founded then is it well it's not founded and, anyways even if even if it is true right. it's not, right it doesn't help me be condescending but go ahead and make your point there i'm sorry to interrupt you no you're fine no you're fine uh 
you know, I really just wanted to touch base on like, uh, you know, the, the the head that we see the the leader from it all is Anthony Fauci, mm-hmm. and I mean his whole you know uh, career uh, through uh, COVID was just riddled with lies and misinformation, and it was backed by uh, social media through censorship, mm-hmm. uh, you know through the lab leak theory. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Twitter accounts have been banned. Yeah, it just merely suggested that the lab leak theory uh, held some, you know, solid ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're looking at it to where the lab leak theory is most likely the where it came from. Right. Um, and this is a lab that Anthony Fauci funded. Um, and not only did he fund it, uh, I think who was it? Uh, Peter uh, was it Dasek? Is his name? I think. Mm, I don't uh, recall right offhand, but yeah, he's from the Eco Health Alliance. I want to okay. say I got that down. Um, but yeah, so this was the guy that funded the Wuhan lab, and just before, uh, I believe, Fauci just resigned the last week or two, mm-hmm. um, which is also kind of peculiar, because he told Biden that he was going to uh, proceed out the term, but mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so yeah, he under oath said that they were, uh, you know, he lied under oath, but uh, that, sorry, I don't want to get carried away, but with the lab leak theory, um, so... You know, we had social media banning accounts, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, basically he just denounced any possibility that it was ever a possibility. Um, and yeah. he funded uh, so through the uh, Eco Health Alliance, they uh, funded this lab. The lab uh, was purely negligent. They uh, wouldn't release their notebooks for some time. We had really no idea what they were even studying, and. Uh, this is the same lab that he actually ended up funding before he resigned. <laughs> and it just, uh, not only is the same lab, but they actually have the same lab that's uh, conducting the, uh, what is it, the uh, gain of function research. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a major issue. Um, <laughs> at least stop it. Sorry, my dog. <laughs> I think your dog agrees but, uh, with you. All <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, because of uh, the gain of function research, you know, this is why the, uh, uh, I think Fauci should actually be, you know, put in jail, honestly, because uh-huh. he was under oath. Uh, who was it? Ron Paul, you know, had him, you know, dead to rights, basically, saying that they did not do gain of function research at this lab. And now you can just go through all these interviews that he's currently, you know, he's defending gain of function research. So it's like, which one is it? You know, yeah. was it this? Thing that you weren't performing or is it this great thing that exists in your flu vaccine which he was t- trying to defend yeah um and um also with the herd immunity we found out <clears throat> that he was just basically shifting the goalposts the whole time to what he felt the community could handle um same thing with the masks you know he uh, basically Early on, what did he say? Uh, masks don't work. Don't go out and buy them. And then later came out and said, well, actually, masks do work. We just didn't want you to go buy, out and buy them and, you know, uh, hurt the nurses or whatever. Right. And it's like, you can't do that. Like, you're the voice. You What did, What was his quote? He says something along the lines of, I am science. Like, hey, you hey. can't say these things and then just make these judgment calls on what the public can actually handle as far as the true information. And of course, that just led to people being more skeptical, yeah. and people just, you know, God knows how many people died just because they didn't trust this man, you know. Yeah. It's and then you know, uh, that's the other thing. You got this blind tribalism that exists on the left that they just see him as the all-knowing, and anyone that questions that is just a conspiracy theorist or uh, right. just looked down on, but. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm ranting again. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really interesting. I, I've, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about my own mindset that was going, that was taking place during that time, and, um, and I, I do remember, you know, they said at first that the that the virus came from a market, from the uh, somebody apparently right. had consumed a bat or something like that, and the bat Some sort was of animal transmission. What was that? Some sort of animal transmission. Yeah, some, some sort of animal transmission, and and. Um, so that made sense to me. And then, you know, I found out later on, oh, wait a minute, there's like this, there's like this advanced lab in Wuhan, China, which I don't know anything about Wuhan, China, but uh, right. that I found out later on is there's this advanced lab that's studying virology 
right there in Wuhan. And I'm like, <laughs> right. what's the It's like the John the Stewart. Of, yeah, what's the odds <laughs> of that happening? You know, like, okay, so, you know, and it, it, it I mean, the, the jury's still out, right? But it doesn't look good. First of all, China yeah. covers everything up, right? And, and the second right. thing is they, they probably figured they couldn't um, cover up the fact that it came out of Wuhan because that's when, you know, when the earlier, uh, some of the doctors started reporting it back then. So they couldn't mm -hmm. deny that. So they said, well, let's pick a place in Wuhan that uh, isn't the lab, right? So, um, I mean, it's it's really hard to get China to cooperate on this. And and that's that's another thing too with the um with Fauci actually prolonging the uh actual investigation god knows what china you know could have hidden in that time span yeah cuz yeah. you know basically he was saying that it came from the animal transmission whenever we know is actually we don't know i i, I apologize right. it, like you said it's still kind of up in the air but it's just turning more and more on the opposite end and whenever you've got these people that are you know, acting so suspicious and just not giving us the facts. It just doesn't look good. Right. Right. But no, if you would have came out and said, Hey, you know, this lab actually is where we were doing gain of function research. And there is a, a distinct possibility. This is where it came from. We would have, we should have investigated immediately, but yeah. with that lost time, there's just no kind of, there's just no telling what we lost in evidence. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I tend my, scientific or, you know, as much of the scientist as I can be, I'm an engineer, but um, I think that the virus probably originated in the wild somewhere, right? They're doing this gain-of-function testing, which probably means that they're uh, they're purposely permutating the virus to study right. it. And um, I don't know if you ever read The the Stand from, Ke from Stephen King, uh, one of my I, favorite books. I, it's a really long read. but um, I haven't. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's... Um, it's it's almost the same thing, right? There's this lab doing this this gain of function type research, right? And it just breaks out and kills everybody. Um, and so you know, I, I guess it, so. The virus really probably came from the animal kingdom. Is it similar to like the all the COVID or the the coronaviruses you're talking about with SARS and MERS and such? So this was this is going to this is bound to happen. This thing was going to get out there somehow or another, and. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are, you know, pardon the expression, covering their ass on this thing, including Fauci. And, but you got to, you got to figure too that, okay, you made a huge mistake or he didn't make the, I'm sure he's not the one that released this. I don't think, I don't think anybody released this thing on purpose, but. Right. Um, yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. I, 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 that's hard to believe, but, um, but if, yeah, I, I, I agree. If he had some advanced knowledge of this thing, or if he knew where it came from, um, we could, uh, it might've made a difference in terms of trusting the government a little bit more if he would just said, Hey, look, you know, I made a mistake or somebody made a mistake. Uh, I'm aware of this. And, uh, yes, we were, we were funding this operation and, um, and just come clean. Right. And, and I, I think I, it's a lot of ego, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's ego. It's covering your ass. I mean, it, it's, to me, it's like, you know, politicians and, and people in general, they don't get in trouble for doing right. something wrong so much, they get in trouble right. for lying about it. You know, Martha right. Stewart and people like that, you know, it's like, okay, you got some inside information, you trade, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna you know, fine you like right. $50,000 or whatever. She she denies it, right? And then she ends up going to jail for like a year or something. Like, just stop, you know. Once you're that's caught, why I, tell the truth. <laughs> right, and I can't understand how anyone can, uh, you know, defend his uh, testimony with Ron Paul. It's like, he clearly says that they did not, uh, do gain of function research and it's clearly a lie now we know this yeah. uh what was the uh uh biden's uh was it the uh i can't remember what department they just released the new findings i can't remember i don't remember uh, anymore was it was it wasn't the doe or something like that didn't they do some uh what i think it was department of energy did some sort of a study and i'm like yeah yeah what's department the doe energy doing this was. yeah Yep, they just came out with the release. That's where we're finding a lot of this information now about Fauci. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, throw so, in jail. Long jail. So <laughs> what? Um, how does this? How does this work though? I mean, it, it, so he tells this this lie, which we know is a lie at this point, is that the, the masking thing. And I knew about right. this a long time ago. He says, "No, don't. You know, masks don't help." 
and then later on had to do an about face and and then make up this excuse like, well, we didn't want you stealing all the masks from the nurses and the doctors. Now, right. um, to me, I can understand why he may have wanted to tell this, you know, little lie. Um, but still, I, it's, it almost says that he doesn't trust people with information. Absolutely. Because right? I, I, I wonder, and I play these mind games in my mind, I think to myself, what if he just came out and said um, to you people, you know, yeah, masking is, is, is recommended. We recommend you have these K95 masks. Um, but please, if you find these masks, um, give them to your hospital or something like that. Um, right. You know, and, and I don't know if, I don't know. People are, you know, people uh, are pretty vicarious. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty well, pretty giving, but you're talking about, you know, protecting your family or something like that. Then, you know, the door is kind of closed down on that. And somebody's going to say, well, I'm going to buy a bunch of N95 masks where I find them. I'm going to keep them for, you know, my family and my buddies and stuff. So, um, on the other hand too, I have to wonder how do we get caught flat footed on this too? I mean, that's another discussion. Right, supply chain issues. I mean, that's one thing that definitely got exposed with COVID. Mm-hmm. What was the, what issues is Our, it? Supply chain issues. Yeah. yeah supply chain you know, issues. Pro- yeah. Pro- self-production, you know, our production here at home. Yeah. How did that uh, happen? Because, you know, it, it's it, with the Spanish flu was out like almost exactly a hundred years prior to that. And it's almost like these lessons got lost. And I really don't think we learned anything, honestly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder about that myself. You know, and I got to tell you a little story. I was, um, I used to do a lot of traveling for a previous job I had. I traveled all over the world. And I remember, um, it's a long story, but I ended up on this bus like in the middle of the night in Bangalore, India. And um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And I was in this bus and there's, everybody's just crowded and this, you know, the typical people just crowd themselves in these buses and you barely have, barely have room to, to turn around. And I'm, and we're on this thing and I'm thinking to myself, you know, in like three days, I'm going to be back in Los Angeles. I've probably picked up every single localized bug <laughs> that's in this bus right yeah. now. Not right. to mention the fact that I probably gave off of just about every bug I had from Los Angeles too. And there's nobody really watching right. this, right? You know, I'm going to go back to Los Angeles and, you know, probably be on more crowded buses or something like that. And so it, 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 it amazes me that, that we can be caught so flat footed on the supply chain side of things when the, the opportunities for viruses to spread over the world literally overnight is, is unbounded really. Huh. So that's just a little yeah, thought about that. anecdotal story there, but but I, I did a lot of traveling and and um and I, I always wondered about that because I was always interested to see how these things happen and how they unfold. And we had that before we had COVID, we had SARS and MERS. I don't know if you remember those that that could have been outbreaks I'm at what? that time, and they had they were able to contain them. We got Ebola right now, and and I think they've contained that one now in Africa. But right. um, yeah. these are. These are like time bombs ready to explode. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's uh, pretty obvious we don't, I mean, we didn't learn anything. I mean, we're still not producing here at home anything that would come in handy for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, as far as I can see, you know, uh, one of the major things that got exposed during uh, the COVID um, was all the deregulation that happened under the Republicans and Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is uh, HHS, uh, FDA, um, they all got cut in uh, employment and funding right before yeah. uh, COVID happened. Uh, there was actually what was it, the energy response team or something like or the uh, emergency response team, mm-hmm. COVID emergency, like some sort of, uh, was it pandemic response team? That's what it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, they literally disbanded them right before the COVID um, so that's one thing that I realized and uh, m- just makes me just against pretty much most conservative politics or most just deregulation yeah. uh, under the guise of uh, small government, right? You yeah. Know? Um, so yeah, if we, but my, my point was getting, I really don't see the refunding of those pro- those uh, programs or anything like that. Um, yeah. Well, it's, then, um, it's hard to go do. Ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was finished. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, you can go back to, like, 
20, uh, 2008 and uh, the financial crisis that happened there, uh, I so personally plain. blame a lot of that on deregulation. The Glass-Steagall Act from back in 1934, I think it was, which which um, regulated how banks held their money and what they could uh -huh. invest in finance, financial investment banks versus, you know, your your bank on on the corner, and um, a lot of that deregulation hit. And guess what happened? I mean, there were a lot of people that tied finance; their financial uh, banks were tied to mortgages. And when these mortgages had poison pills in them, when, when they expired, you know, it, it just, everything spiraled. And so, yeah, so I, I, I'm with you on the deregulation thing, but regulations are hard to, to maintain though, right? Because you have to tell people, you know, what could happen and try to keep them interested in preparing. And to me, it's like, it's like investing in your law enforcement. It's like having cops, right? If you have a lot of cops, um, crime goes way down. And after a while you say, well, there's not much crime here. We don't need cops, right? So you get rid of the cops, right? So let's cut the budget for cops. And then you cut the budget and then guess what happens? You know, crime goes back up again. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a, it's a hard thing to do. I think as a politician is, is to try to sell your people on, you know, what could happen. We need this regulation because this might happen, you know? Right. And you know, it's, um, uh... I don't know. The other thing that comes with uh, regulation is corruption, I guess. I mean, all those agencies, uh, you know, you can criticize and find spots where they just don't do their job effectively. Um, For sure. But still, I mean, it's just like, you know, you touch base on the police. It says that's the parallel I always make whenever people are like, oh, those, those agencies are corrupt and they needed to be defunded. It's like, oh, so defund the police then, right? You know, it's like, yeah. no, like, we don't need defunding. We just need like refunding, like or reallocating of funds, whatever. Right. Uh, or in that, those cases, just draining the swamps. Like you know, hate to use his word, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, hey, if he followed through on all of his populist policies, like we'd be a better country. But he just, you know, grifter. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, that's right. People get in there and take advantage of the situation, and um, grifting has become pretty big these days. It's I mean, if nothing else brings down this country, it's going to be corruption. You know, that'd be my first policy. If I was ever a politician, you know, I've got some Medicare for all and, you know, stuff like uh -huh. that I all for. But first policy would have to be corruption is redefined and basically is treasonous. You know, you, you took a, a office, you took the office of a public servant and you betray it, you know, uh -huh. and you betray people and, uh, you yeah. know, obviously people are making money hand over foot with the betrayals. So, yeah, I mean, I don't understand that that's not grounds for, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying absolute capital punishment, they should be executed, but what yeah. damn near white prison, you know what I mean? Like I, and then it's the, the audacious part is we can't even get them on the most simple charges. Yeah. And, you know, I'm all for Trump being in jail, but I, I, Let's throw them all in there. I mean, they're all war criminals. You know, it's like Noam Chomsky, I believe, said it's, if the Nuremberg Tribunal had been upheld, like all uh, United States presidents post-World War II would be hanged. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's pretty true because we're all war criminals. That's, uh, that's an interesting thing. I like thing. Jimmy. Yeah. Interesting. Jimmy's okay. Well, who was that? <laughs> Who's okay? Jimmy's okay. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. Carter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I was around. I mean, it was uh, I didn't I was too young to vote for him, but uh, I voted for Reagan um, over Carter at the time. And you know, the the mood of the country back then was, um, yeah, Carter's a great guy, but it takes um, you know, pardon the expression, but it takes kind of a bastard to actually get anything done in politics these days. And yeah. you know, and and Reagan just seemed like the the perfect um, anecdote for you know it, it was. You know, we had uh, we basically got humbled by having our hostages taken in Iran. They were held for some yep. like 444 days or something like that. And yep. there was a rescue mission to get them out of there, and the rescue mission failed, and a lot more people died. And, you know, Ayatollah Khomeini was, you know, basically poking a stick in our eye, and, and Americans just got tired of it and said, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to turn this thing around. And... um Unfortunately, when you do that, though, you 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 take a lot of the bad with the good too, right? There was 
some good came out of that. We got our act together. Um, but, you know, the bad part was the 1980s was really kind of the launching pad for uh, a lot of the deregulation and, and subsequent corruption and I think a major drift toward uh, kleptocracy or uh, oligarchy. Triple down economics. Yeah, triple down economics. economics. It, People are still pushing that these days. I don't understand that. That uh, you know, <laughs> they 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 want to uh, you know continue the status quo while still claiming that you know we're in such a, a failed state. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, like, it it doesn't. Either we're in a failed state or we're not the most socialist country in the world, <laughs> like yeah. like everyone wants to claim. You yeah. know, it's I, well, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, no, go. You're fine. Uh, I forgot what I was getting at, but go ahead. No, I, I, I like the path you're going down there. It's, um, it's, um, I think we beat that one to death, though. Um, so anything more to Again. say about COVID and, uh, and Fauci and, uh, and um, before we kind of wrap I, this thing up? I, uh-huh. I, th- I think uh, one thing that we kind of took from COVID was uh, the stimulus checks. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think people actually kind of started to open up to the idea of a UBI of some sort. You know where it's like, oh, when shit hits the fan, maybe we shouldn't just bail out Wall Street, and we should actually bail out the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in construction, and you know, this is my theory as far as I guess not my theory, but as far as UBI, it's like, you know, it's the perfect uh, implementation of uh, trickle up economics because you're basically giving the people the power to invest where they want that money, <laughs> and uh, you em- you end up just fuel. Uh, just fueling the local economy because you know we go get our local groceries um you know we just pay your rent all the you know commodities all the stuff like that utilities right um so i don't know i think we just started open the idea a little more on that um it's kind of a shame like you know we just got a what what three time payment whenever every other developed country is getting reoccurring payments for the whole entirety just about How? um yeah so yeah, kind of, I don't know. I, I think that's a cool idea, and I just kind of would like to see it a little more. Uh, you know, we're. St- I think there's a new study that just started in uh, New York. One there was one in Stockton, California, a UBI study where it just was the, uh, you know, over the top uh, numbers as far as success. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to that. But I kind of, um, I'm kind of ambivalent about that, and and. Um... I actually met Andrew Yang, oh, probably about six months ago. He was in town here. And, and oh, wow. I, um, <laughs> just between you and me and everybody that's listening to this podcast, I was not impressed with him. But, um, uh, yeah. He's I, been doing that off lately. Yeah. He's, he's, but he's, you know, he pushed the idea of UBI, universal basic income. And of course, I, the reason why I'm ambivalent about it is because, yes, we had those stimulus checks that came out and, a lot of people also got these forgiven loans and things like that. Um, I can't help thinking that that actually contributed to inflation. I know there were some supply side issues too that came out of COVID, which you know, you, if you cut green. down on supply, then the uh, right the uh, the price naturally goes up. So, but I, I also think that you know, if you if you give everybody a million dollars, then um, million dollars doesn't mean as much anymore. So you know. But it, but but even on a smaller scale, let's say you give someone a couple thousand dollars a month or something like that, um, you know, a lot of people are just gonna, a lot of people don't need it, or a lot of people who who um, who really need it. That okay, I, I can see it, I can see it affecting them. But um, you know, it's a lot of people are gonna go out and buy big screen TVs or something. Well, what do you think is gonna happen to the well, price of big screen TVs? You know, they're just gonna go through so that- the roof. You know. So that's what we're seeing with these studies, like in Stockton, California. You know, okay. I actually particularly like that study. Uh, Stockton's, um, you know, a low-income area. Um, a lot of uh, minorities, I believe, live in Stockton. Um, and yeah, they tracked the money that was spent by these people in this uh-huh. community, and they found out that they actually weren't spending it on big-screen TVs or drugs or alcohol or anything like that, which is what you know would like to believe. Uh, uh-huh figured out they just were paying rent you know getting stuff around the house done um which i i see that you know we saw the stimulus hanging out we had such a uh, massive uh fluctuation in work we just 
all of a sudden got all this work in mm-hmm. and it was because people wanted to improve their homes you know and right. it's just that on on me at that thing it's like wow i can't imagine how many markets you know start to flourish because of this so it really has a good ripple effect in that sense but yeah. my main takeaway is you know everybody's I, I get it it sounds crazy let's just give people money but the alternative you know we see what happens when shit hits the fan the we just bail out wall street These yeah yeah except corporations that we've just proven time and time again that they they're too big to fail and every time that they dwindle their funds away and give their bonuses to their ceos and stock buybacks and all that stuff and they run out of money that's okay we're just gonna let the federal reserve be their financial backstop yeah and nobody an eye at that you know what was it the 2.6 trillion dollar bailout that yeah, trump did the, yeah um 2008 or i believe it was, no, it was uh, tart money that uh, type of yeah yeah right and you know so we just proved time and time again that this is something that's going to happen so you know no we don't scoff at that at all everybody's just asked well how are we going to pay for this the the funding or the direct subsidization of people mm-hmm. but uh and then the other thing um you know we're supposed to be a free market and whenever you sit there and pick and choose where you're gonna subsidize or what do they call it quantitative easing Who, whoever they're gonna pick and choose you're directly affecting a free market and there's no chance for a little person to ever compete in that market yeah so you know, it's just the direct contradiction to everything that we hold sacred in this country, really. But, um, huh. so yeah, I don't know. I just think yeah, it'd be a lot more effective if we just, our tax money just kind of really went right back into our pockets as much as we can and not in these institutions that are clearly massively corrupt. I mean, yeah. obviously we've got, you know, $900 billion defense budget where our Pentagon has failed our last five, bud, uh, five, uh, audits. Yeah, you know? they've never completed a successful audit, and it's it's <laughs> required by law. Yeah. So what did we do with it? We raised the expected um, defense budget by whatever what it was, we billion, gave, tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, we gave them more money than they were asking for. <laughs> which is, which is, <laughs> that just, make that make sense. You yeah, know? make that make sense exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you you, uh, you you ruffled my feathers when you talked about uh, bailing out Wall Street because this is exactly what happened in two thousand eight, and it's an example. Uh-huh. I think I'm I'm, I'm with you one hundred percent on this. It's an example of where the where the knee jerk reflex is among a lot of politicians. It's like we got to cover our bankers, we got to cover all, we got to cover Wall Street, and um, it, it's part of that trickle down economics uh, mindset too, right? It's like give money to the rich people, and that trickles down to the people. poor people. You know, yeah, they're good people. They'll make sure it gets down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and they're not. What they did, you know, a lot of these corporations did, they just bought back their own stock, right? I mean, well, this is in, in the exactly. in the, uh, in the Trump tax cuts of, of 2017. Um, 83% went to the top 1%. Yeah, and, and but they, they bought back their own stock. You know, and I know exactly how this works because I, I used to work for a company. I'll, I'll leave them off the air here because I don't want to get in trouble. But I used to work for a company that uh, was just corrupt in that area. And the CEO was also the chairman of the board. And um, he would uh, he, he would take whatever profits the company had and buy back stock. Well, what he also did is he granted himself a lot of stock and stock options, right? And so when a company buys it back, he just cashes out after that happens, right? Because yep. the stock price goes up and he cashes out. He literally did this. And, yeah. um, and I'm, I mean, like, this is how does this guy unpopular. stay out of jail? What's that? Yeah, I said it's not unpopular. This is what they all do. I mean, we can yeah. just go directly. I mean, with the S, uh, what is it, the SBF Bank or whatever? Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. What Silicon Valley Bank? Sorry, SBF. But uh, yeah. yeah, so they, you know, they did the exact same thing. We can go directly look at their their the bonuses and their stock buyback numbers like the same day that the the yeah. place went down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, and uh. uh how do these guys stay out of jail? And and I know how because the guys that are it's making legal. the laws for them are the ones that that are um, you know letting them out of keeping them out of jail. Because again, what happens is um, you know a lot of politicians, not all of them, but you know, some good ones out there. But a lot of them are are on the take. They're getting their campaign money from from these kickbacks and it's uh, illegal free speech, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, that goes to um, Supreme <laughs> Court uh, two thousand ten. Um, Citizens United, 
And uh, right. one of the things we advocate for heavily on Democracy on the Move is a, is an organization called Move to Amend, and they want to stop the Supreme Court decision. And the only way they feel they can do it is to come up with a constitutional amendment that says basically um, uh, money is not free speech, or, or money or corporations are not people, and therefore they can't use their money as a form of free speech. And so I think that's one way you can address it. Yeah, Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer, but uh, now we just got to convince people on the, uh, our politicians. And I know you and I, we talked like a week ago, just offline, and I I think it was during that conversation that Tony, one of my ideas, which I talk about a lot, is is, uh, every, every politician should be required to wear a jacket that um, just like uh, NASCAR drivers, right? They they have all the patches on yeah, their jacket absolutely. from the people that are no. sponsoring them. <laughs> the more money absolutely. they get, the bigger the patch. <laughs> that's a big problem in Missouri is dark money as well. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's um, it's hard to keep up with that. There are some organizations, good ones out there. Uh, Open Secrets being one of them. OpenSecrets.org, I think it is. Uh, they try okay. to keep up with it, but um, a lot of that money escapes their notice because it just gets buried. So, anyways, um, I think we're up on our uh, on our time here. Any final words yeah. of uh, wisdom, Nathan? I don't know. I thought that was a pretty productive discussion. Uh, I definitely like to pick another topic for another time if you're open for sure. it. Sure. Yeah. This is this is a lot of fun. I, I a lot of times I interview people. Well, I haven't been interviewing people recently because I've been really busy with this with this new idea that that. Uh, that I talked about before, an online radio station right. called Dirt Road Radio. Um, right. So I've been really busy with that, and I haven't really had um, the time to do the research and interview people. But, um, gee, if you and I can just talk like this, um, you know, we can just let it all hang out and not really have to... <laughs> easier for me, anyways. I don't have to do all the prep work and read books and Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, well, I read books anyways, but, uh, well, you know what I mean. I try. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, thank you. Uh, Thanks, Nathan. Uh, We've been talking with Nathan Falcone, a concerned and politically aware citizen from Cedar Hill, Missouri. Uh, Nathan, thanks for joining us on Democracy on the Move. Thank you so so much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week.